0: guys i'm so mad (laughs) the episode we have lined up for you today is fantastic and i had to miss because i was sick ugh don't worry not covid (laughs) but fortunately for all of us alicia picked me up and had such a good chat with a woman i firmly believe is one of the most important voices in our sport danielle laurie From getting cut from her Little League All-Star team to winning a national championship, and from her first Olympic adventure in 2008 to her encore performance, not 12, but 13 years later, this woman's journey is inspiring. I encourage you to listen closely to what drives a player like her. Hear her perspective on grit, determination, and the guts it takes to get to the top of her game. Every player, coach, and parent can relate to the challenges she's been through, and especially the motivation it takes to get through those to get where you want to go. Then if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I invite you to check out our newest resource, the Love of the Game Formula. This three-part actionable mini course will help you discover what truly drives each unique player that you coach. And when you do that, you can be a mentor on your player's journey, just like those you'll hear about in today's episode. To learn more, head to loveofthegameformula.com drive. Now let's get to the show. Get your head in the game, coach. You're about to get your audio dose of softball inspiration. I'm Melanie Rushing, And I'm Alicia Smith. And we help softball teams win more games and have more fun. Right now, you're joining thousands of passionate coaches across the nation who are dragging the field, prepping for the day, or driving to that other job while they learn and grow as a coach.
1: So if you're ready to learn how to build a strong team culture, get your players to believe, and make a real difference in their lives, you're in the right place.
0: This is the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast.
1: So welcome everyone to the Mental Sweet Spot podcast. Um, tonight, I am on my own. Mel is not feeling very well, unfortunately. So you guys get a special treat, just me. Um, but I have a very special guest. Um, we have a lot of passions in common with not only softball, but really just um, being a, a strong voice for for young women. And we both raise daughters, which I think we both would agree that it's also important for them. So I'd likely like to introduce Danielle Laurie. Wait, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. So first, Danielle, I'd like to talk a little bit or have you talk a little bit about kind of like your journey, your softball journey. I know a lot of a lot of players listen to this and just kind of the journey along the way and some of the struggles and successes you've had.
2: Yeah, so I um, ended up playing baseball right out of the gate up until I was about 12. And I had got cut from this uh, boys little league all star team. And I remember being like devastated because I clearly was one of the best players. And, you know, my dad and I are very similar. And he's like, you know, honestly, it's probably because you are a girl. And, um, you know, that was a tough pill to swallow at that time because at 12, you believe that you can do whatever the guys can do, right? But the way my dad worded it was in such a positive way of saying like, let's find something that you can do where you can potentially continue to further your career if you were to get better at it, right? Like when you think about being 12 playing baseball, for me to want to dream to be in the MLB. I just, I don't want my little girls to dream that I want them to watch women's sports and aspire to be what they are. So I was really lucky that, um, I went right into softball. Um, I was terrible at it. I used to pitch with like the slingshot motion, like not even the full arm circle. And I just remember being like, dad, I'm horrible at this. I could obviously feel my position and hit, but, um, pitching took probably a year for me to really kind of be like oh so if I throw it hard I can get people out um and I was really fortunate along the way to have a lot of people in my corner that helped get me to where I am and perfect my my craft I mean I think of Rick Sullivan who was my pitching coach who helped me and would you know, two, three times would pick me up from school during the week. And my dad would meet me there after work. And I would do pitching lessons with him and never paid him a dime. Like he would just want to do it out of the like, you know, goodness of his heart. And I remember Rick and when I was actually just inducted into the UW Hall of Fame last year, uh, he was like number one on my list that I needed there, you know, because when you think about all these different accolades, it's totally cool to win them when you're out of the sport and you're kind of done. But when you're in that moment, you don't about how cool it is right so rick has been a huge part um, of my career i um started out with the national team i played with the junior national team at 16 um and it was actually a kind of a crazy story because it was a 19 and under junior team and i was 16 and it was the team was heading to nanjing china in september and it was probably the beginning of August when Noreen Murphy, who was the coach of the junior team um, came and saw me at like a tournament that I was playing. And she's like, I- we're really interested to like get you on the team. And, you know, of course, like my gut feeling is like, yes, I want to do it. That would be really cool. This would be my first Olympic or not Olympic national team, excuse me, experience. Let's do it. And little did I know that this team had been in the works for over a year. So these women and girls had been together for so long. And then you just have this 16 year old coming in three years younger than everyone else. And it gave me a dose of like how I would never want my kids to feel because it was like coming in and talent aside, it was like automatic, like, we don't like her. She hasn't been here. She doesn't know what we've been going through. Um, So I really struggled. And I still remember when my dad was dropping me off at the airport. he gave me a gift outside our house and this is back with like the old school CD players. And um, he gave me the gift and it was the James Taylor uh, soundtrack, the one where it's like, you've got a friend. And I remember him writing me this card and being like, when you go away and if you're like struggling or if there's times when like, you really feel out of your comfort zone like just play this song and like think of us and your family and he's still been to this day when i think of my biggest moments that i've ever competed national championship everything i will always listen to some type of a james taylor because it kind of humbles me to remember like you know even at 16 like i went through the ringer in this sport with trying to deal with the personalities and at the end of the day the, the talent rises to the occasion, right? And like I got there and people started to understand like she's someone that, that can help. And I pitched more innings than almost anyone in that um, little kind of tournament thing that we went to. And that for me was really what kind of catapulted me to get recruited because being some small town kid from, you know, Langley, British Columbia, the White Rock Renegades was a team I was on. They were pretty good, but like we never really, went a lot to the U S to these big exposure tournaments, like the sparkler tournament and stuff like that. So no one really knew who I was. So when I went there and you had Monica Abbott who freshly just signed with Tennessee, she was there and those big time names, the U S coach who I can't remember who it was at the time um, had just came and talked to me in that tournament. And he's like, are you signed to like go anywhere? Like, what's your plans? And I was like, I had no idea about it. And finally, like when I got back, He kind of, I remember reaching out a little bit and he had got me in contact with just how the, the recruiting process went, because you think about it, like I'm 33 and at 16, you know, almost 17 years ago, 18 years ago, it was so different than it is now. Um, so once my name kind of got out there, there was like the top three schools, um, Two of them had a national team connection, and one was Nebraska with Lori Sipple, who had coached us in the Olympic Games, Um, University of Alabama with Patrick Murphy, who coached me a little bit, and then University of Washington, and I remember being able to go up and watch or down, excuse me, and watch the Huskies when they played, and I didn't go a lot, but I remember being like, wow, I don't think I can go to Nebraska and never see my parents. And I don't think I can go all the way to Alabama and live in Alabama. Um, So it was a super easy decision for me. The hardest part throughout that was that my dad's such a pro in the sense where like, he wants me to be the one that steps up in those moments. So like when I didn't want to go to Alabama or Nebraska, like I had to be the one to pick up the phone and like have those coaches, you know, on the phone and tell them, to this day, like I remember the nerves I had talking to Patrick Murphy. And I didn't take a recruiting trip to Alabama because I knew in my heart, like even going there, it's not gonna change my mind. Like I wanna stay close to home and he still gives me a tough time about it when I like will go and broadcast games there and he'll just, you know, like, oh, remember that time you didn't even come and give us a chance. And I was like, I know I would've got the SEC its first national championship, but I decided to do it at Washington. So that's why I made that decision. Um, but I remember having to make those big girl decisions and have to stand up to those coaches, which they can pressure you a lot. So I was really fortunate that my dad made me do that because that kind of just opened my eyes to, this is about me. And this is what I want to do. And I'm sorry that you're guilt tripping me into making me feel terrible for not choosing your school. But at the end of the day, this is my choice. And that was the beauty of my mom and dad is they never pressured me into going anywhere. Like never, like after the fact, did my parents say like, man, I don't think we would have ever saw you if you went to Nebraska or Alabama. Yes, but they were hundred percent supportive because they knew how hard I worked and they wanted this to be about me. Um, so the summer just before I went into Washington was the first summer that I was with the senior team and I was 18, um, and we were playing in the world cup of softball and team USA was coming fresh off of the gold medal from the 2004 Olympics. And this is when I give public speaking. I always talk about this because I remember in this moment being on team Canada, we're playing in this tournament, we're playing team USA, it's on ESPN, my parents are at this like random bar they could find in Canada that like stole the feed to be able to watch. It was huge. But the day before we were practicing up on those practice fields that they have in Oklahoma city. And we finished having like practice and we were having a meeting and Sipple was talking about like how we're playing the U S tomorrow. And she's like, you know, we're not going to win. We've never beat team USA. And she goes, that's why we're going to start Danielle. And I remember in that moment, like, something like lit a flame in me like I've always had that like always where I want to be the best I work to the to the highest level possible because that's how I need to work to feel confident but being told that you're just throwing me in there even though we're going to lose hit me hard and I remember telling and calling my dad my mom's always been the most supportive person as well but my dad's always the one that knows how to really like get into me and like light that fire a little bit um, bigger and he's like Number one, he was you know, pissed off about it. He's like, who would ever tell you that you're not gonna be the one for the job? But he could say, go prove them wrong. I mean, you're 18 years old, go do what you do. It's nothing other than 43 feet in the game you know. And it was such a crazy game because it was three to two. And I just remember the momentum of it, but never thinking that I wasn't capable of being able to do that. And I loved that. So I remember after that game was done and it was just like, such an amazing feeling of like, we just did that. That is the first time we've ever beat Team USA in the history of Team Canada. Like that's something to be really proud of. So I kind of had that carrying into my first season at Washington. Like having that momentum is kind of really helped, just helped me believe that I could do whatever it is I wanted to do. And I've always had that, but until you're in kind of those pivotal moments, Sometimes, if you don't know what it feels like, it's hard to visualize you doing it. And when we had our recruiting talks with Washington and we were in the conversation, you know, we talked about the potential of me going to the Olympics and red shirting. And um, Heather knew that right out of the gate. Like, if I go there, there's a good shot. So, 2008, I'm going to have that red shirt year. Um, And I remember my freshman year, if I could change anything I wish that I would have changed that like go-getter attitude of not stepping on anyone's toes because I came in and I was pretty good um but Caitlin Noble was also had a hell of a year her freshman year the year before so I almost didn't know how that was going to play out because I feel like all we knew was one pitcher and that's kind of how it went and um so once Eve got, who was a pitching coach there, probably, you know, halfway into the season had to lay into me, like, do you want the ball or like, what are you going to do with this? Because we need a bulldog in the circle. We don't need someone that feels like they're going to step on a sophomore's toes. So I wish I would have learned that quicker, but my freshman year kind of was what it was. I don't remember anything too crazy. My sophomore year was when we made it to the world series for the first time. And, um, I still remember to this day losing to Arizona twice on Sunday and feeling extremely defeated, but also relieved, which is a weird feeling because for me in that moment, like we had came out of the gate hot. Like I know hit DePaul, the first game, we won game two, we just crushed Northwestern. So then we were sitting pretty for Sunday. And as soon as I found out that it was Arizona, I had this pit in my stomach of just like, Oh my God, Candrea, Arizona, Arizona, I don't know how this is going to be. Um, and I let the mental side of the game creep in. And I didn't know how to handle it. And I automatically almost had the feeling that we were going to lose before it even happened. And that's exactly what happened. So that to me was my kind of wake up call for like, I need to do more in this sport. I have to put the quality time in for the mental performance stuff because the talent's there, but when it gets hard, I want to kind of sometimes give up, and I don't know why, so for me, as a young kid, I didn't learn a lot of that stuff, because it was just repetitions, repetitions, so um, I was really fortunate enough to be able to work with Ken Revisa the Olympic year, Team Canada brought him on board, and it was a tough battle him and I had, because, you know, I I was a hard-nosed 20-year-old kid, just turned 21 before the Olympics, so I think when someone tells you To change things or to look at them from a different lens. It's hard when you've had so much success at that age. Um, but Ken Revisa was literally the game changer for me. And I remember, you know, the Olympic Games was really tough. It was a hard, hard Olympic year. We were literally gone the whole year training. I was away from everything I knew. Clearly I'm a homebody. I like being by my my family, I liked being at the university. It felt like family to me. And when I went with Team Canada, it was like a job. I struggled. I would call my my mom and dad crying and being like, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to play the game. Like, you know, and, and my dad was like, absolutely not. Like, you're there. You're one of the best in the world. You deserve to go to the Olympics. Um, and to just keep grinding and fighting and fighting and fighting. It's so funny. I'm in this position 13 years later doing it. But um, so when we got to the Olympic Games... The hard part was that the coach kind of changed when we got there. It was a complete change. Um, She didn't know how to react to some hardcore situations and everyone else on the team kind of sensed that. And I remember one moment that hit me harder than any moment that I've experienced. And one thing Ken Revisa would always say is like, there's going to be certain moments that you come to in your career where you're either going to go the right way or you're going to choose to go that way because it's too hard. And it was then we made it to the medal round and uh we were playing Australia the next day. We had Lauren Bay, who's our ace, and she'd been to the 04 Olympics, a lot of experience, but she'd been like she had a little bit of a groin issue. So she that was a little bit of a hiccup. And I remember Sip called me into her room that night and she goes, you know, we're gonna start you for the Australia game tomorrow. So if you win this game, you're automatically guaranteed a medal. So in my mind. I was like, this is my moment. This is like everything that I've worked for as a little kid, all the mental prep, everything that I've done was for this moment right here. Like I could be the one that helps get candidates first medal ever. And the next morning we're going down, uni's getting in the elevator and the coach was in there and she looked at me and she's just like, yeah, sorry, we're going to start Bay today, not you. And that moment at 21, I didn't know how to handle it. It ripped me apart from the inside out. And I was really fortunate to have one of my best and closest friends, Jen Salling on the team, because I went right to her and I had tears in my eyes and I just didn't want to be that selfish teammate, but I didn't know how to handle the emotions of it. And I just remember Jen looking at me and she's like, Hey, there might be a chance you come into this game. Like try to be as good of a teammate as you can be. Maybe we, you know, we still got a shot to do this. And I wish that I could have handled that situation better. It's not that I was a leech and everyone knew that I was upset, but I just wish for the team that I was better in that moment to be like, okay, I'm not the one for the job, but it doesn't mean that my name won't be called and I'll be ready. It was more like an FU, like, why am I not the one in the circle? And that is totally not the attitude to have. Um, long story short, we end up losing in that game. It was gut wrenching. Um, and I remember... Coach Tar, JT, everyone was there in the family and friends section after my dad, my grandma. And I just remember hugging Heather and being like, there's nothing that will get in the way of us winning a national championship. Like from everything that I've experienced this year. And I also looked at her and I was like my freshman, sophomore year, like if I were to want to leave a legacy at this program, like realistically, I haven't really done anything. And I hated that and four years you think is a long time but when two years flew by like that I was like I gotta be better um so you fast forward to that junior year and it just we worked harder than any other team we pushed ourselves. I pushed myself into this level of unknown that I didn't even know was possible because of everything that had happened in the past it was just that was on my mind every day like every single day I would wake up it would be with the intent to prove the haters the world wrong every single day because I had that, I had that pent up inside of me. And that's definitely not always the best way to train, but for me that worked and it lit my fire every single day. And, you know, one game that really stands out that national championship year was obviously that 15 inning game where we played UMass. And it was just, we played seven innings before I had got my butt handed to me. I gave up, I think two home runs. We lost eight to two had a 30 minute window to turn that around. And that's the hardest thing as a pitcher to be able to like lose like that, get embarrassed, shut that off and then come back 30 uh, minutes later and try to be a completely different person. And, um, you know, Glass and I had our conversation and we just kind of chatted about it. And he's like, you want the ball? And I was like, are you gonna give it to someone else? I mean, we don't got really anyone else here. And, you know, the first inning went to the fourth, to the seventh, to the ninth, to the 11th. I think Amanda Fleischman robbed the home run in the 12th and it was like 190 fences. Like I still remember my gut, like we lost in that moment, the ball went up and she just came in that inning and robbed the home run. And I remember when that happened, it was like that to me, like solidified that we're winning this whole damn thing because that kind of give, gave me this little extra pep in my step of like nope you let that pitch go you were not present for that pitch and that could have happened be better and I had multiple teammates coming up to me in that game Jen and Charters Charters would come up with tears in my eyes in like the 13th inning like keep going Danielle keep going and I remember having to come back in in the dugout and Glasso and I were like super close now and obviously we were when he was there and I just went up to him like Glass, you got to get these women away from me like when they're crying and they're telling me to keep going. I mean, I'm going on like like 19 innings here straight. Like I got the teams back, just get me a run. And um, so we end up winning that game. And that was probably the defining moment for me in my whole career. Like if I were to think about going back and having to battle adversity and the mental side of the game, that was it. It was almost six hours of playing the game, over 300 pitches. Um, 190 fences, which people don't understand, like a pop up can go out. And I remember just having to just stay with my routine. And I would think about stuff that Ken would say, like, you get the ball back, you connect up, you you look for your people, you do the same thing every single time. And when you don't do that, that's when things happen. So I was so thankful for him in that moment, because he helped get me through um obviously one of the hardest games that I've ever performed in and I would also remember being in the dugout and looking at their pitcher and just thinking like sitting there in my mind being like okay Brandis or she's damn good don't get me wrong but she's not better than me she has not worked harder than me she's not been through the trenches like I have like there is no way in hell this this woman's going to beat me and I would just carry that attitude in every single pitch like no one, is, no one has worked harder than I have. And I think when that's a reality, it's totally okay to feel that way. Fake it till you make it for sure. But when you truly know in your heart of hearts, like you've busted your ass to the point where like you've cried at times, like those are the moments where you need to step up. And those are the moments where you rightfully so, I'm the best and I deserve to win this game and I deserve to be present every single pitch. Um, and I deserve to do it for my teammates because we had never worked that hard, you know, ever in the three years that I were there, was there. Um, and then, I mean, my senior year, we, we went to the, um, world series and it was okay. We, I remember having OU come in. We had just got lights my senior year for the, uh, regional and supers. And we had Kaylani Ricketts her freshman year, um, and they came in and we played them in the uh palm springs tournament and they had some big boppers and i remember playing that game at uw game one and we ended up losing and amber flores hit three home runs off me to left center and right and this i we were staying in a hotel in bellevue and the game was done my dad left in like the fourth he was just not happy and it was it was it was not a great game. Um, And I remember going back to Heather and being like, I don't want to go to the hotel yet. I was crying. I don't. And and the thing is the team never sees me cry, you know, for the, like, I don't usually cry. And I just remember thinking like, wow, this is my senior year. Like we could go out and win the national championship and then go out and not even make it to the world series. And um, I told her I wanted to sit in the locker room in the coach's locker room and sit and watch the game and shut shut the volume off and just watch my demeanor and like go through how I looked after I gave up one home run what was like my how, how was my facial expressions just like everything so I knew, because I knew I had to go to war the next game I had two games in a row on Sunday where we're going to have to beat them. Um, and that is not easy. And you're facing Kalani Ricketts, who is an unknown who throws 70 miles an hour from the left side, anything can happen. But a funny story with that, there was a gal, Ashley Avon, who was battling cancer, who was a big part of our program, like not a player. She was younger and in high school and um, she was dying. She was, a, she was going to die. And um, she'd been such a huge part of our team, but there was just poor thing was in tough and you know, my dad came and picked me up from the hotel and was like, we were going to go for breakfast and just talk about the game and try to just put it behind us. And we were at the Ram at the U village and uh, Jay Buhner was there. He had um, taken Ashley even out for lunch. He was he was there and I remember Ashley even came up to me and she put her arms around me and like hugged me. And she's like, oh my God, I couldn't sleep last night. Like all I kept thinking about was you and are you gonna be okay? And um, I was like, totally, like, I'll be fine. We got this, I can I can do anything, blah, blah, blah. And she walked away and she was gonna come to the game. And my dad looked at me and he goes, you understand that like that young lady is going to die. Like that is going to happen. That's a reality for her, but all she cares about is you. And, and what you're going through. And it almost kind of gets me choked up thinking about that because we take this game so seriously. And I think w- when you can look at it from a different perspective, and, and I was able to in that moment to be like, you know, the stuff I'm going through right now is not nearly as challenging as it is on her or her family. And that, that really gave me this gut check of like, this is not that hard, Danielle. Like if you can control what you can control and that is you, and that is being present every single pitch and being fearless and taking ownership, you will be perfectly fine. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I walked Amber Flores every single time except her last at bat and just took ownership of that and said, she has my number. Um, but I challenged these other eight hitters to do some damage on me and we shut them out both games. I think I had, you know, 14 strikeouts game one and and somewhere double digits game two and the only person that I wanted to look up and see in the stands when that was done was like Ashley, because it just, that was the first person that came to my mind um, in that moment. Cause I'm not sure that I could have done it without seeing her and just getting that reality check. Um, and then we went to the world series and we were two and out and it sucked, but it's crazy to think thrown as much as I did, you couldn't pay me to want to go back to do that. I loved those moments of good and bad and hard. And if you want to be the one for the job, you have to be able to accept both sides. Um, but at times, I don't think people truly understand how lonely that work can be that you're putting in. And you know, I, and I'm back doing it now. And you know, you fast forward to where I'm at, and I was truly in the best possible place. March in training camp of 2020, we had the Olympics on our mind. We had the Olympic qualifier last September and I gave myself two weeks after the qualifier to just chill with my kids and family. And then it was right back to work, bullpens, training, running. Um, And when that happened, it took me to this dark place for like a week where I was like, I would say to my husband, I was like, I don't wanna do it. Like, because in order for me to feel like I'm at my best, it takes this work ethic that is almost harder at my age because I know how hard I need to work to thrive when those moments are there. And it's like, I'm training. I finally have obviously gotten over it, but when I'm training and I'm putting myself through those moments, it's with the intent of the balls in my hand when it matters. And I would remember, you know, that so it's like i'm running on on my peloton tread in my garage in march april may and just absolutely going balls to the wall because i know that the olympics will happen and if i don't work to the ability that i can then maybe in those moments i don't step up and that's a guilt that i'll have to live with and you know being able to take another crack at this olympic thing 13 years later has just given me such a different love and respect for the game because it doesn't rule my life anymore like it used to. I have my husband, I have my family, I have my little girls um, that are always there no matter what. And I think when you're 19, 20, 21, um, it defines you because it's all you've known. And now the game doesn't define me. I work hard and when my name's called what's meant to be will be, I put in the work to hope that I can step up. But at the end of the day, like, I'll be at peace with whatever happens. And that's a tough pill to swallow because do I want to win a medal? Probably more than anybody. Yes. Um, But we choose team sports and sometimes things are out of your control. And at the end of the day, I can just control me. And that's been the coolest part about being back in the game and being with team Canada. I think this is going on year 11 that I've been with them year 10 um, but just looking at where I was in the 2008 Olympics to hopefully where I'll be in 2021 is super big. I'm sorry, that was really long. All of that for you, but oh, she, okay. you can, you can make this as long as you want. It doesn't have to just be 30 minutes. Okay, I can talk. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, it's it's an unbelievable
1: story, and I think that there are so many things that you said in that, that we talk about that kids deal with now everywhere from like, I love the part about your journey, right? Your, your yeah. parent, family and parents really made it your journey. And I see, I see kids now that it's their parents' journey and not their journey. Um, oh, yeah. I have seen so many kids struggle with their identity because they're only known as a softball player, uh, pitchers, totally. especially no one yeah. needs to tell you how hard you have to work. Um, yeah. and that's, what's so sad, but I think a few things that I, I kind of want to, keep going on uh, as your perspective right your perspective has really uh changed but you also embrace the suck so to speak earlier in your career because you have to be able to battle through that to get to be the best and it doesn't have to be the best meaning the elite it just means your best and i think too that's to the managing the the true expectations and and I wanted to ask you a little bit more you had said something on Instagram that was awesome you said you said other people don't need to know your why like that's for you so talk a little bit about that perspective how you got that perspective now based on all of your experience that you've had
2: man you know it's so funny because it's like I'm almost speaking to myself when I post a lot of these things because they are things that I've dealt with and I deal with um And I a lot of the time I wish I knew them earlier on in life. But, you know, the reason why I say that not everyone is supposed to understand your why is because, you know, being back and doing this with kids in a family has been by far the most challenging thing that I've ever personally had to deal with because I'm trying to be great at everything. And it's not gonna happen. Like I'm trying to be a good wife and, and be the best mom I can be for those kids, but on the opposite end, training and putting myself in those positions to thrive never leaves my mind, right? So it's like, I don't ever feel like I get get to or have gotten to shut my mind off because I'm constantly in the mode of, okay, what's next? All right, we got training, we got lifting, we got this. What's our plan for this? Um, and if you want to be the best at something, I've just learned that like people don't understand why you work to the level you do. I feel like the only person that does, people that do, is probably my dad, my mom, she counts. She wasn't much of a sports gal. Um, would probably be my dad and my teammate, Jen, because we've been through the ringer together. You know, we won a national championship together. We went to the Olympics together in 08. And there's a couple others, but her and I are very similar in the sense of like how hard we work because we know what's at stake, but we're never going to get where we want to go. And that's always the hardest pill to swallow too. It's like, you know, I can, I can look at like winning an Olympic medal to be exactly what I want to be like winning a gold medal would, you know, be the pivotal and the the biggest deal in my career. But as a softball player, if I was continuing to perfect my craft, I would, I'm never going to just get to that point where I'm at the Olympics and be like, wow, I'm just the absolute best right now. Like you're always working to get better at the sport some way or another. So when I say, you know, that no one's supposed to understand it, it takes a crazy ass work ethic to put in that time and effort and money. And it's, it's, it's a lot to say that, like, you know, that my husband and my family are supposed to understand that they don't. And that's okay, but you need to support me through it. You need to be someone that at least acknowledges, Hey, you're putting in that time. And I I will say, The hardest challenge through all of this has probably been the fact that I don't ever get to really just chill. Like, you know, like I'll go and train and do what I need to do and it's right back into the mom mode. Like uh, none of my teammates besides Lauren Bay have kids. So it's like you push your body day in and day out, day in and day out, but you get to recover. I don't get that luxury, right? So it's like, I'm constantly working, but at the end of the day, I'm dealing with family, 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 but I feel like that's made me the most mentally tough when I'm in those situations, because they're the first ones on my mind. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's not my teammates. Like when I've been in pressure, like I think about the time away from my my girls. I think about the money spent on nannies. I think about like everything that we've need to do to make this dream a reality for me. And that's why it's important for me to step up in that moment because there's a lot on the line, not just obviously for the team, but like what I'm missing and what I've put on hold the last four years. and. To say that anyone's supposed to understand why I do it, they're not supposed to, but damn, you better respect it and your opinions. I don't really need them. And I've had a lot on the mom front of like, how can you do it? How can you be away from your kids? And it's a whole other can of worms because at the end of the day, like you don't know someone's life until you know you walk into their, their door and you're living with them and people don't know my grind. And um, I almost do it for the ones that constantly say stuff. Because it gives you that extra, like, I literally feel like superwoman some days because I can do everything that I need to do and I still stay sane. And that is, uh, that's crazy to me.
1: Now, and I think a lot of coaches, myself included, feel the same, just different, right? I have, I have a full-time job and career uh, in addition to a high school softball coach in that yeah. program. I've been there for 23 years and it means the world to me. So, you mm-hmm. know, you, you, that has, that's my other baby. And then yeah. I have an 11 year old daughter and I'm married and all of those things. It's like, I've had those same things. Why do you spend so much time coaching? Why do you spend so much time with other kids instead of your own? My mom uh-huh. gives the the guilt right that yeah. why aren't you home like I was with you and and I have all these other things that are important to me with with my careers as well as my family and that's the struggle and I think yeah. a lot of other coaches struggle with that too and and elite athletes do and and the the reward though that I have found is that my daughter once looked at me in the kitchen she was probably six and goes mom you Oh, so it's like, okay. So, so there's that part too, where you're also being a role model, not only for your own kids, because you are chasing those dreams and you are working hard and it's okay to chase those things. And I think that that's, that's really powerful in itself.
2: The coolest part has been um, like Maddie knows how hard that I work and she's seen me like struggle. Right. So I think for her, that's opened her eyes to a new light of like, Like failure is okay. And like when I have tears in my eyes because I'm so stressed or I'm frustrated or I have a terrible bullpen and I want to cry, I find the positive in it. But she's able to see me work and, and put in that time. And to me, that's almost the coolest part about doing this is that like I've got to do it. I went back to play the game and train when Audrey was nine months old, which is so sad to me because it's like, I almost got to miss, you know, the first two years of your kid's life. It's like, they're so little and they need you. And I had mom guilt for days. I did. But at the end of the day, like, I had to follow my gut in the sense of like, this is something I need to do before I finally close that chapter of this game. And for how much that I've worked, it's okay that I can put my kids on the back burner a little bit. They're taken care of, they're loved, they have everything they need to be successful right now in life. And it's like, it's okay for their mom to be successful as well, because that's going to show them I can do anything I want to do. Absolutely. And I I think too, one of the other things that's really prominent
1: in your in your social media that I have seen and I think is so important is that people a lot of people are asking you about the, the issues they face with like body imaging and things like that yeah. and that yeah. is and that is such a uh, the insecurity that young women face, um, and even adult women, is is really yeah. tough for me to see as a coach. I've dealt with it. My daughter deals with it, and it's and it's hard because we've we've gotten to a point in our lives where we can at least formulate and understand the thoughts that we're thinking, um, but it's hard when I've I've struggled as a mom to be able to separate coach and mom and talk to her as my daughter and not not one of my kids that I coach. Yeah. And then when you hear these, these feelings from an 11 year old, and it, mm-hmm. it breaks my heart. And, and so what really pushes you and drives you to, to be outspoken in such a positive way for young women when it
2: comes to insecurities? Well, I mean, it, I was the most insecure of my life when I was pregnant. You know, I was well over 230 pounds when I gave birth to Madison and like, and I was a big, strong girl in college. And I always will be a big, strong girl, um, woman, but that moment for me, like, it took me a year with Madison to like lose that weight and like, be okay with it. Like, and I went back to play so, so quickly. Like I got pregnant when I was overseas playing in Japan Um, And it kind of came really quick. We were not planning that, you know, my husband and I were together, we were getting married, all of that. But I had to not play in Japan anymore and I couldn't play in the U.S. Pro League. So I remember wanting to 100% make sure that I went back after I had Maddie to almost like close that door, to be like, all right, I did it, I finished. Now I can move on. And I just remember not understanding how to get my body into a position to compete at a high level after I had her, you know, I didn't know core. I didn't know a lot of these different types of things. And my body looked different and I didn't know how or why, um, I felt the way I did about it. And I remember when I was pregnant with Audrey, like I just busted my ass. I worked so hard. I went to the gym all the time. Like I just, but that was something that I did regardless if I was pregnant or not, but I looked at this next pregnancy is like a challenge for me to work to the level as if I'm not pregnant. Like I obviously I'm a great eater. Like that's never an issue, but a lot of times you will get shamed at the gym for doing hardcore stuff. And I remember the day I went into labor with Audrey, I, I was working out at the gym and that night went into labor. And after I had her, it just gave me this like different approach to my body. I was like, I've had Madison who is well over 10 pounds Um, I gave birth to that. I did that. And then I did that with Audrey. And I just remember this empowering feeling of just like, dude, like what my body's capable of doing is amazing. um, But I also need to be the best role model that I can be for my kids. And I'm sure you can attest to that. And knowing being a girl mom, it's like they are susceptible to seeing so many things at a younger age now and being around things um, that aren't great. And I think for me to be someone that they will constantly be able to look up to is what has just kind of allowed for me to be more vulnerable on social media, because it's like at the end of the day, I can honestly sit here and say, like, I do not care what others think of me or how I look or my body, or if I have, you know, uh, stretch marks, or if I weigh 200 pounds, but I know a lot of young women do care. So for them to see my vulnerability in the sense of like, I can post stuff about my body, I can post my weight, I can post where my head's at with it, I think allows for them to feel like it's okay if I can do that. And the more you're able to kind of build up that confidence of like, the only thing that matters is you and how hard you work and what you put into it. No one else should be able to look at you and be like, you're gross, or you're this, or you're that, and you believe it. I mean, you got your inner, your circle, you know, like- my mom and dad were always big on me trying to eat healthy growing up and wanting to set me up to be in the best position I could athletically. Right. It's not a free for all. You can't tell your kids eat and drink and do whatever you want and allow for them to live a healthy life. But I mean, Madison knows if it gets mad, Audrey too. Like if it gets to the point where things start to get crazy and she thinks she can just crush Halloween candy all night, like, no, we got to take care of our body. We have to do these things. But at the end of the day, Like I've just found that I need to be the best version of me for them because Maddie did, she even got teased maybe a month ago. The nanny was at the park and she got teased by this little boy and it still haunts me because I wasn't there. Um, And I still wait to see the kid in the neighborhood so I can light him up when I'm running on my treadmill and I see him walking by. But my job is to raise my little girls to be able to stand up for themselves and to know what's right. And When someone's making fun of you, I'll never teach my kids to back down and be like, oh, yeah, totally. It's fine. Like, no, what you're saying isn't okay. Like not teaching my children to hit. I will teach my kids to be able to to defend themselves um, and to never back down from that. But at the end of the day, um, I just want to be the one to lead them to whatever path they want to go and have a strong, you know, role model. And I think same sex parents are the most important parents in the, the children's lives, as Dr. Phil always says, which is, has not been on TV lately, but um, he would always say that. And I believe it, you know? Oh, I do
1: too. I think I've always had this like deep desire to be this awesome role model for my daughter. And when things go wrong and you're just mm-hmm. like, what do I do? And I think yeah. that also the confidence as a mom, right? That's, yeah. That also like not having that confidence originally. Uh, and I can see that boiling over into my early coaching career. I did care what people think. Uh, or thought during, during, oh my gosh, you know, I know that their kid's not playing. I wonder if they're going to be upset with me. And eventually as a coach, I got to the point where I didn't care, right? Because once you let go of what other people think, you can actually be you and be, it's not just about being vulnerable. It's really being genuinely you. And I think that same thing you said earlier about, I I wish too, I knew what in my thirties that I do now in my forties and same I would be such a different coach, but that's not the point. The point is that's the journey and how to get there and Mm -hmm. taking that reflection back on, on the journey, your entire journey and where you are now and and being able to take that reflection. um, I can appreciate that much better. And I feel that is where I'm like, okay, let go of all that expectation and what you want to be as a mom, just be you, just be the mom that you are, just be the coach that you are, just be the wife that you are. And I think that that is what I can offer my daughter right? That being the authentic you and being vulnerable, but also doing those types of things that you said, you want your kids to be these strong young women and um, being the role model that that you are for your daughters, that there's no doubt that they they will get that. And I think that that is one of the most important things that you can give to them. But also I appreciate the fact that you are able to share that with other people and using the platform that you have to be able to do so. For sure. Yeah. Amen. So Uh, is there any other advice that you would like to give to, uh, an audience of softball players that are currently listening?
2: Um, man, you've never made it, you know, you constantly need to keep working. And I think it can be really easy now in this game to, um, believe you're the best just because your parents tell you that Mm -hmm. that's one thing that I was really fortunate enough to have growing up was parents that were really hard on me in the sense where it's like, if you played a bad game, you played a bad game and you need to be better and you need to step up and we need to train harder. And it was never like, you know, like all glitter and rainbows. It wasn't, I would have hard days where I would cry or get upset at my mom and dad. Um, But man, that made me into such a strong woman because I just knew that I had to work harder. I had to be better. I I just, I believe that like constantly being told you're the best all the time is not the solution. Mm -hmm. I think that like, you always want to try to be the best teammate that you can be. You want to always be as humbled as you possibly can be, but you always want to play like your ass is on fire and someone's trying to take what you want to get. Um, and you know, I train like that on the daily as if someone's trying to get what I want, cause they are, I mean, I have every other national team out there trying to fight and be in the best position to go and try to win an Olympic medal. That like, that fuels my fire every single day, because at the end of the day, who wants it the most and who's willing to put in that hard work, but who's willing to step up with that fearless attitude when the pressure's hot. And that's something that I think not a lot of young kids understand when they're playing the game about the pressure piece. So it's like the mental training that needs to go into that is so important, but just believe in you're the damn best is pretty important too. You can't believe it unless you put in the work, Mm -hmm. but you can believe it and constantly tell yourself that like, I'm the best. And even when you're not, some of my most humbling moments have been when my ass has got lit up, you know, where I just get taken back and I'm like, whoa, okay. I'm not where I need to be. I came out a little cocky. I didn't do what I need to do. I didn't do X, Y, Z. That's why that happened. Then I go out the next, the next day I go run my polls. I put my music on. I get back in my mindset and tell myself like what I need to do to try to execute my next start or wherever that situation may be. But being humbled is the healthiest part of the game um, that, that we can, can, put ourselves in like if that steers you away from playing the game why the hell are you playing sports you know what i mean like that yeah. is the answer to where you're trying to go put in more work work harder no one cares right right and at the end of the day what you say
1: to yourself matters and oh. it, it is so it is so critical like what yeah. i tell if there's nothing else more than what what i hope the kids that i coach or encounter or work with understanding how you talk to yourself matters yeah and and that's just from being a female in general, right? It, and yeah. being, it doesn't matter how old you are. I think that how, what, how you talk to yourself and what you say to yourself matters. And that's really, like you said, yes, of course, putting in the work,
2: but really just being kind to yourself, like you would yeah. be to other people. And not comparing to other people, oh, you know? And yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, when I think about the pitcher and player that I am with Team Canada, that's the pitcher and player that I am. I'm not Lauren Bay, I'm not Grown Wagon, I'm not any of these other players. What makes me unique is what I bring to the table. And what makes them special and unique is what they bring to the table. We have no control over who's going to pitch it in what game or who's making the team or this or that. So it's really owning you and like, all right, my job is this, if I play second base and I'm the two hitter, like I gotta own the fact that I gotta be able to drop that bunt down. I'm owning that, that's my role. So it's just not trying to get bigger or I'm competitive. So there's been times where it's like, you know, you want to be better than people and I'm all about that, but it's not going outside of your comfort zone of you Uh, positionally. Um, And that has taken a lot of work for me too. You never, I've had my struggles and I even hate to say it. There's been times back in the day with the national team where I've not always wanted people to be successful. And that's, not a great thing to be able to say now but at the end of the day like I can fully say that because I'm a completely different player and a completely different person and I understand winning in the sense where it's like it's not going to happen strictly on me like I have to be the number one person to support every single pitcher on staff but every single player and it needs to be that way all across the board I love that it has taken you know this amount of time to figure that out And it's okay that I'm in my 30s, but I feel extremely grateful to be in the position I'm in to maybe get an Olympic Games under my belt 13 years later with a completely different perspective, relationship with the game, but a lot more on the line.
0: I told you it was going to be a good one. This is definitely an episode to forward to your girls if you want them to understand what grit and guts really look like. Then if you want to find out what will motivate each of them to fight through the challenges and stick with it during hard times, head to loveofthegameformula.com slash drive for our new mini course. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to support at mentalseedspot.com or shoot us a message on social, we really mean it. We love getting to know our sweet spotters, and we are happy to help any way we can, even if you have a question. In the meantime, thank you again for listening and joining us, and have a good one.